Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is the 11th of May. If you missed the first hour, you're going to want to go back and listen to it at the uh, via the podcast at myfaithradio.com. I'm a little tongue-tied today. Um, so where in the Word are you today? Where in the Word are you today? Let's go to Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked? Not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. I'm going to consider for a moment um, the description here of the one who is blessed. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. That doesn't mean like standing in their way. It means standing with them in the way they're going. Um, Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That's a, I think that's a direct conversation about social media today. <laughs> like, right. The seed of scoffers are the people who are just clicking away on, uh, on social media, um, biting and chewing and tearing up other people. Um, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked and not in the way of sinners and not in the seat of scoffers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you delight in the law of the Lord today? Are you meditating day and night on who God is and what he has revealed in his word? Every time you see a blooming flower today, I challenge you to thank God for the flowers he sent. Maybe there are buds on a tree. Maybe there are um, things beginning to bloom Around you, I noted this morning that our rose bushes are beginning to bloom. The wild blackberries in the woods here are beginning to bloom. Every time I see them, I turn my eyes heavenward and I say, thank you, Father, for the flowers you sent. I see them. I acknowledge them. I acknowledge you. Thank you so much. You and I are to be trees planted by streams of water. What kind of water? Well, the very water that rushes forth in Genesis and is described in Revelation. People who yield a harvest of righteousness in our lives, fruit in our season. Our leaves do not wither. God prospers us. God stands us. God blesses us and then in turn blesses others through us. 
Friends, you're blessed. I'm blessed. Because we walk in the counsel, not of the wicked, but in the counsel of the Lord our God. All right, next up, Dr. Jeff Barrows is back from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to lead off with some COVID headlines. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Jeff Barrows joins me again today from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Uh, Jeff, welcome back. Well, good morning, Carmen, and thank you again for that devotion and reminders from Psalm 1. It's just, it's one of my favorite psalms. So this is such, such excellent reminders this morning. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the fruitfulness of, uh, of your own life. Let's um let's turn our attention COVID headlines um being what they are today let's turn our attention to the situation in India what um what are you hearing from uh, from your colleagues there You know the, the the reports out of India are just absolutely heartbreaking right now cuz the numbers that we're hearing are just absolutely staggering it's they're reporting almost 400,000 new daily cases of COVID, which is, by the way, about 10 times the number of cases here in the United States. And and they're, they're far above any other country around the world in terms of these cases. But I think the, the real story that we're seeing that is so tragic is the fact that they're now wrestling. Their, their medical system is overwhelmed and stretched beyond their capability of caring for these poor patients. Because they're they're running out of oxygen, they're running out of hospital beds, they're running out of ventilators, and even access to specialized ICU beds is just way short of what it needs to be. But I think the thing that that we're hearing, it makes this more heart-rending, is that this situation was completely avoidable. I mean, earlier this year, there were boasts by several politicians that they had beaten the pandemic right after you know the holidays and beginning of 2021 here and so then the government just felt like okay it's it's over they don't need to worry about it and and they began allowing large gathering events uh religious festivals and and uh, especially at election r- rallies around the country and this was just terribly unfortunate because now within a few weeks they had new cases and the numbers of deaths had skyrocketed by like 30 times. So with that, it, it's just so, so unfortunate that they, that this situation, this surge in India, it was really completely avoidable. So I think we need to be praying for those in India right now, especially for healthcare professionals that are um, hopefully will not get COVID themselves. There's so few of them that have been vaccinated. And we need to pray for adequate medical supplies to meet their needs and then obviously pray for this surge to to dissipate and begin to slow down. Jeff, I'm curious, have you, have you ever been to India? I have. My daughter actually lived in Kolkata for a couple of years and uh, we flew over to India. It's been a number of years, uh, but we flew over, flew into Mumbai and flew over to Kolkata. So, yes, I, I've been to India. I haven't done any medical work there, but uh, went to visit my, my daughter, who is actually working with victims of sex trafficking there. 
So the reason that I ask is because I think that for those of us who um, have never been to India, um, the sheer number of people is probably hard to imagine, but also the difference in worldview related to the caste system. Um, and I suspect that some of what India is dealing with in terms of the surge of COVID and 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 how quickly it has spread in, in certain segments of the population um, may, in fact, be due to the fact that they, they don't treat everyone as equally human and with equal access to um, to everything in society. You're absolutely right. And, and those that are on the lowest rung of that hierarchical ladder are called the Dalits. And uh, they they just are treated as if they're servants, especially by the those in the highest classes. So they don't get they don't get access to the best medical care. They don't uh, get access to the best jobs, so they don't have money to pay for the medical care they need. And I don't have any doubt that that is the group of people that is are suffering the most now in this now most recent COVID-19 surge. Well, and I, and I suspect that um, the numbers we will we will hear reflected in terms of deaths related to COVID in this uh, in this period in India won't even account for those people because in Hinduism they don't they don't count. And so it's just going to be, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation to have. And I have said here that it's an, I think it's an opportunity for Christians to talk about the value of every human being um, and, and for us to influence a, a worldview conversation, um, you know, using what is an absolutely horrific opportunity for prayer, um, but to use it as a, an opening of conversation that worldview really does matter. Absolutely. Just think about what you said in terms of not being counted. Uh, imagine that you or your family members or maybe your entire family uh, have died, but the government doesn't feel like you're worth being counted. And so you're not going to be. Nobody's even going to recognize that. And that's I think you're right. That's very difficult for us here in the United States to imagine. But that's clearly what's going on. The numbers out of India, even though they're they're high and they're tragic, they are most likely underrepresented because these people are not being counted. Mm -hmm. um, all right, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, uh, I want to get your take on something that has uh, just happened, that the federal government has reversed um, uh, a Trump-era policy related to people who identify as transgender and the treatments they expect or demand um, from public uh, health, well, and, and health care professionals. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, uh, if you're reading headlines today, you're going to see some like this. Biden administration announces reversal of Trump-era limits on protections for transgender people in health care. The Trump administration in June 2020 finalized its rollback of protections against gender identity discrimination in health care regulated by Obamacare. Um, I'm having a hard time finding a headline that um, speaks really the truth of the matter. I am interested to see what Dr. Barrows has to say about all this. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Carmen, to speak on this. It really goes back to actually 2016 when the Obama administration and HHS under uh, the Obama administration did a, did something that we were totally unexpecting, and that is they took in their rules and regulations within HHS 
their definition of sex discrimination, and they widened it out to include gender identity and sexual orientation and pregnancy. And what that meant was that suddenly, if we weren't giving the right kind of care to someone who identified as transgender and giving them gender affirmation surgery, or even if we refused to do an abortion on somebody, we could be accused as a Christian healthcare professional of discrimination. So, as you mentioned, Trump then reversed that and back to what it's been known, what the definition of sex discrimination for decades has been known as just simply referring to biological sex. But now, and it's not a surprise this time, the Biden administration has once again gone back to what the Obama administration attempted, and that is redefining what it means to have uh, sex discrimination. So I do want to make clear that that we as Christian healthcare professionals, especially our members, are, do serve all patients regardless of their race, their gender, sexual orientation, or their gender identity. In fact, our members provide millions of dollars in free and low-cost healthcare to the elderly, the poor, the underserved, and sexual minorities. So we routinely provide top-notch care, and that's for everything from, you know, you can say cancer to the common cold. But we draw the line when it comes to helping them engage in gender transition procedures because they are harmful. There's no evidence that these procedures giving puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, or the surgeries do anything to prevent suicide or help in mental health. And in fact, all of the evidence that's out there is that these these treatments are harmful. They cause permanent sterilization. They, they cause lifelong dependency on these cross-sex hormones. We have no idea what it means for a biologic female to take testosterone in very high levels all of her life. I'm beginning to see actually evidence that a, a woman's um, chance of a heart attack, for instance, is increased to the same level as a male's. So these are harmful treatments, and we are just really very disappointed in the administration that we are being forced through this rule and others to engage in this harmful therapy. This sentence um, stands out to me, Jeff, and I want to I want to help our listeners hear what is being said. This is from the Associated Press. The Trump administration had defined and then they put sex in scare quotes. uh, The Trump administration had defined sex to mean gender assigned at birth, thereby excluding transgender people from the law's umbrella of protection. Now, let's just pause right there. Um, Was it as recently as the Trump administration that that sex has meant biological gender. And is biological gender assigned at birth, or is it reflective of the biology of the person? Is it observed? You see the challenge here, right? I mean, even in the sentence, we are being told things that are fundamentally not true. Absolutely. I'm an obstetrician-gynecologist, and I've had the privilege of delivering probably around 3,000 babies. And I can tell you, there was no baby in which I assigned their sex at birth. Uh, obviously, with modern it's ultrasound. It's not like a wheel, and you, like, spin it, and if it lands on blue or pink, then you just, oh, that's just pick that yeah. one. No, that's no, not how it works. 
You don't lay the baby down on the on the newborn bed and then say, "Huh, what do you think? Do you think we ought to assign this as a boy or a girl?" I mean, it's it's an absolutely ridiculous concept, and and it's because those that are in the LGBTQ movement are are hijacking the language, and they're just thinking that well, all we have to do is change the term "assigned at birth," and we're going to suddenly get people to recognize that that biologic sex can be changed. And of course, all of us as Christians and all normal people that are thinking recognize that that's an absolute fallacy. All right. The Equality Act is um, is still marching forward. I'm, I'm very, very hopeful that it will not have uh, a sufficient number of votes to actually pass. But um, the the religious freedom protections related to it, I just think it's always helpful for you to remind us of what's at stake here. Yeah, now the the regulation we've been talking about with HHS mainly applies to healthcare professionals in this country. But if the Equality Act is passed, and of course it's stuck now in the Senate, and hopefully it will not get past the Senate, but if it should, what will happen is that everything written in our statutes relating to civil rights will be changed exactly the same way as this recent change in HHS. In other words, sex discrimination across the board will be redefined as discrimination against someone on the basis of sexual identity or gender orientation and pregnancy. And it will impact everybody that's a Christian in this country, regardless of what they do. And it specifically states that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act does not apply. This is actually written into the law, and and that's surprising to me. I mean, it it just—it states that anybody who tries to use the Religious Restoration or Religious Freedom Restoration Act as protection, it won't apply. So it means that churches who hold a biblical view of sexuality and their leadership can be then sued for discrimination because they're discriminating against someone who happens to be gay or happens to be transgender or Christian schools who want to teach biblical sexuality or traditional marriage can be sued for discrimination. Colleges, Christian colleges, are going to be forced to to house students according to their, not their biological sex, but their identified sex. And people might say, well, that can't happen. That, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. It's already happening in a school in the state of Missouri. So this... Equality Act is dangerous for all Christians and will totally up upend our religious walk here in this country. Dr. Jeff Barrows is uh, referring there to the College of the Ozarks. And for those of you who missed my conversation last week with uh, Dr. Alan Curitan, president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, go back, grab that podcast at MyFaithRadio.com where we unpack that particular storyline related to the Equality Act and related to what colleges and universities across the country are already being forced to do by um, administrative fiat through the Department of Education. All right, uh, Jeff, we got to leave it right there. But as always, thank you so very much for what you do every day at the Christian Medical and Dental Association, what you're doing in in your own practice and and how you're equipping us uh, for the conversations of the day. We really appreciate it. Well, great to be with you again, Carmen. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Is this my tease or is Jeffrey already with us? Uh, This is the tease. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jeff, Sometimes Jeffrey, I get ahead of myself, right? Yes, yes. I know. It's so bad, right? Okay, so um, I'm really excited to get to the conversation. The book is Reading the Times, a literary and theological inquiry into the news. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the news we consume, how we consume news differently, how it's not only informing us, but forming us. And um, I, I, we're going to talk about blessed is the man who is like a rooted tree. So we're going to talk about Psalm 1. Mm-hmm. There was a reason I led off with that. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. My big brother used to pick on me. For D, no day was complete unless he had made mine miserable. He stole my allowance. He called me sissy. But all his cruel antics were offset by one great act of grace on a summer day in the park. He picked me to play on his baseball team. Everyone else was a middle schooler. I was a third grader. I went from back of the pack to front of the line all because he picked me. AD didn't pick me because I was good. He called my name for one reason only. He was my big brother. And on that day, he decided to be a good big brother. The New Testament has a word for such activity, encouragement. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. This is Max Locato, and this is how happiness happens. I think I've discovered a guy that we're going to start following around. Uh, his name is Jeffrey Bilbro, B-I-L-B-R-O. You can find him at jeffbilbro.com. And this fall, you can find him at one of our favorite places, Grove City College. Jeffrey, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thanks very much for having me on this morning. Okay, I feel like I, I mean, I know that you don't feel discovered by me, but I feel like I've discovered a real uh, friend um, and and good thinker on things that intrigue me and about which I am also concerned. So thank you for what you're writing. We're going to talk today about Reading the Times, a literary and theological inquiry into the news. Um, tell us what is of concern to you and why you're addressing it in this book. Sure. Well, uh, I think I'm not unique in uh, looking around and seeing that our digital media ecosystem is uh, challenging for a lot of people, including Christians, to navigate. And uh, what I wanted to do, I guess, is try to tackle some of those questions and and issues with uh, a longer historical and theological perspective. And and so bring some of the riches of the... um, the church tradition to bear on the particular, uh, you know, I think challenges uh, of our current moment. So I teed this up by saying you and I are going to talk about how the news doesn't just inform us, uh, but forms us. And one of the listeners then texted in, sometimes the news deforms us. Talk a little (laughs) bit about this broad question about our relationship to the news. Yeah, I, I do think this idea of formation and deformation is uh, very relevant to to how we engage the news because we can uh, superficially think that we're just you know checking in um, to get get information but those uh, patterns of attention those habits of attention end up really forming our souls to um, to attend to certain 
things and to to have a, a particular view of what's important and what's not important. So, um, you know, if if we get all of our news from uh, from TV or from social media, it, it can tend to create a kind of uh, I would say warped view of of what's going on around us and of the world, and um, we often consume little bits of information, uh, and, and so we tend to think about the news as something that's amusing or outraging, outrageous or uh, or entertaining, rather than as um, maybe a, a, an invitation to consider how, what it might mean to love our neighbors uh, in this particular place and time. So one of the things that I appreciated um, that you, you know, that you kind of walk us around in, and again, friends, the book is Reading the Times, A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News. Um, News isn't what it used to be, um, and most of us have not likely spent enough time uh, thinking about how intentional we need to be to develop a theology of the news. Um, And so talk a little bit about that, a theology of the news. What What does that mean? Yeah, so the news, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's old. People have always uh, uh, cared about what's happening around them. But on the other hand, it's relatively a recent phenomenon in terms of an industry, you know, maybe stretching back uh, a couple hundred years. Um, And so today, it's quite commercialized, right? It's quite, um, it's become an industry for, for good and bad. And um, so kind of thinking about the um, the biases or the motivations, I guess, of, of people um, who, who maybe want to monetize our attention and uh, being conscious of that and and then hopefully uh, finding uh, not not, you know, not kind of just being susceptible to that, but instead finding sources that we can trust um, sources who will who will tell us, um, you know, what's maybe important in the context of God's kingdom rather than just in the context of, um, you know, what's the most outrageous or, or crazy thing that happened in the last 24 hours. So uh, it, that also, I suppose, relates to this issue of uh, the proper prioritization of, of what's happening currently. And, uh, you know, Christians have, I would hope, a, a gospel framework to rate and uh, prioritize what's what's going on in the world around us, rather than than a framework that might be, you know, based on uh, a, a historical view of progress, or um, you know, just concerned about money or or any number of other things. So to think about how the gospel might invite us to attend to the affairs of our day. That um, that conversation about how we should interpret and value current events um, feels like the place where I should ask you about mimesis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things I do in the book, and maybe this is a little bit academic, but hopefully it's, it's uh, relevant and clear, is to try, to try to contrast two different modes of time and to think about um, both Kairos time and Kronos time, whereas where Kronos time is just uh, one thing after another, and um, sort of time as duration. And Cairo's time um, is this sense of uh, patterned or cyclical time, so seasonal time or uh, the church liturgical calendar, uh, the right moment for a particular action. 
And um, you know, I think I, I point to to the biblical prophets as uh, exemplars of those who hold these two times in tension, who inhabit uh, both times in an exemplary way, because um, you know, as Christians, uh, we we recognize that that God, the eternal Word, entered into human history and entered into Chronos time, and that should reshape our understanding of and valuation of what's happening today. But that's also not the the sole standard, right? Uh, and, and the prophets do a good job, I think, of trying to interpret the events of their day in the context of God's ongoing self-revelation and his ongoing relationship with his people. So I look at uh, sort of ways that Christians throughout history have tried to represent and value uh, human events, the news, from this, uh, this sort of uh, both and perspective, uh, trying to, to view the events of Kronos uh, as significant in light of their location in God's uh, eternal drama, his, his eternal working with his people. Um, that is the right side of history conversation in, yeah, in the exactly. midst of history conversation. It's just perfect. It's, it's, it's so well done. It's very provocative. It's not overly academic. It's just exactly spot on. Um, I am talking with Jeffrey Bilbro. We are talking about um, his very excellent book, Reading the Times, A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News. We'll be right back. So I like you. I like to uh, turn you on, my listeners, to really good resources out there. Jeffrey Bilbro, um, the author that we're speaking with today, reading the Times: A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News, also periodically posts um, at frontporchrepublic.com, and um, he doesn't. Uh, I don't know if he does this frequently, but right now there's an aggregated roundup of really good resources of things you might want to read. And so if you uh, go to frontporchrepublic.com and look for Jeffrey Bilbro, you'll find on May the 1st a post that has just some really great stuff that, you know, I hadn't I hadn't read yet. And now I have bookmarked um, to read later today. So thank you for all of that, sir. Let's um, continue a conversation about your book. Um, let's jump in this way. OK, so we're like fish. We're swimming in a time when. You know, news is literally streaming and screaming at us 24-7. Historically, that has not been the place of news in uh, the life of the individual nor the life of the community. So why don't you help us put the news in its rightful place? Yeah, and I guess, you know, I, I point to the 19th century as the time when that first uh, became an issue with the telegraph and uh, cheap, cheap print, uh, cheaper newspapers uh, and the news in America and Britain and elsewhere really gets uh, monetized then. And, uh, and then, of course, as you point out, yeah, today it's uh, only amplified. And, and I don't want to say that we, Christians should not care what's going on or should, you know, just uh, sort of put our heads in the sand and ignore um, what's happening around us. But uh, in today's context, I think the opposite danger is more uh, tempting which is to to be totally immersed in um, you know the affairs of the the affairs of the moment and uh, what happened uh, on social media last night 
And, and so just, you know, a, a kind of a reprioritization of um, thinking about why do I want to know this? What, what am I going to do with this information? Uh, I like what Neil Postman says about a sort of information action ratio that uh, w when we get too much information that we can't act upon, it can be really uh, mentally and spiritually unhealthy. All right, I got a little dis distracted scrolling around on Front Porch Republic, which I know you don't <laughs> mind, happened to me. Um, that's a really cool website, man. Okay, so uh, tell me why there's a chapter named The Blessed Man as a Rooted Tree and why I read a part of Psalm 1 at the beginning of this hour of live radio. Yeah, I, I love Psalm 1 uh, and, and the image there of uh, the blessed man uh, it, it, like a tree planted by rivers of water and sort of contrasting him, contrasting this image of, a, of someone rooted in the word of God and rooted in, um, you know, God's ongoing uh, revelation of himself to uh, the wicked who are like chaff and who are blown about and who aren't rooted. So, I, and, and I think, you know, one of the things about Psalm 1 that is helpful too is to is to note the the reference to uh, to bearing fruit, that, you know, being rooted in the Word of God and being formed by the church and by Scripture will actually enable us to offer um, to our, our current communities uh, fruit that they need. You know, sometimes we think that if I uh, want to serve my neighbor well, I have to be informed and up-to-date on everything. But the converse might be more true, that if we want to serve our neighbor well, if we want to have something genuinely redemptive to offer, um, we have to be first uh, deeply rooted in the Word of God. And then, then of course, the challenge is um, to, to draw forth from that Word uh, the fruit that our neighbor might need for this particular time and moment. All right, you've talked now um, a couple of times about neighbor. Uh, there's an emphasis here on community. I guarantee you there's people who do not see the connection between what I'm paying attention to um, related to the news, how I am being formed um, and transformed by that, and the way I am either living well or not very well in community with my neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of the third part of the book where I try to talk about how uh, shared attention is a really powerful um, uh, communal dimension, that, that we tend to imagine ourselves belonging to the people who pay attention to the same things that we do. So, you know, this is why the church can be such a formative community, because we attend together to, uh, to the Word of God. But it's also why um, a lot of people find their identity in the particular uh, news station or website or uh, personalities that they follow for the news. And, you know, you can you can really actually come to identify more as someone who is an NPR junkie or a, a Fox News radio, I mean, a Fox uh, TV watcher than you do as, as someone who's a Christian. And so. Uh, I try to kind of talk about the dynamics of that, why that happens, and give some suggestions for how we might um, come to belong primarily uh, to the church and to our places and uh, interact with the broader news landscape from that communal posture as opposed to um, kind of isolated individuals trying to, to navigate the sea of information on our own. For folks who um, 
are trying to figure out how to address uh, the reality of fake news or uh, or even respond to allegations of fake news or the idea that we live in a post fact world um what would you what would you say to them today yeah uh and i I talk about this a little bit because I'm not too optimistic on the um uh, on the ability of things like fact-checking or um, sort of technical solutions to these problems. I think the, the deeper problem is that we don't trust each other anymore. And so mm-hmm. um, misinformation on, on all sides can kind of proliferate and spread because people are predisposed to think that the other side of the political or cultural um, struggle is uh, are, are not to be trusted. So that's why I think as Christians, we need to work on um, loving our neighbor and belonging to each other and listening well, kind of maybe outside of the uh, structures of the digital media. And then hopefully that kind of commitment to, to our neighbor would shape us to uh, navigate information with greater discernment. And and. Uh, you know, it's not a, there's no quick fix, I don't think, to the kind of polarization and atomization that our culture experiences right now. But I think we have to just recognize that's the problem. And it's not just fake news or misinformation that can be treated in isolation. OK, so you are headed um, in the fall to Grove City College. Am I right about that or did I make that up? Nope, I am indeed. OK, so that's really fun. Carl Truman is like, I mean, I if I have a hero, he might be my hero. I'm just reading his new book and finding it quite, quite good. So I'm looking forward to it. Right. Quite illuminating. Right. I, I have, I have kind of thought about it. I mean, I had to, I had to have a thesaurus out while I was reading it because it's been a long time, you know, right. Since I went to college or graduate school and there are some big words in there. Um, But it was really good and so on point. So if, if people were going to read something as a really good compliment to what you have written, that is a really good book to help us understand uh, where we are in this moment in time, uh, sort of yep. helping us understand the chronos in which we're living, yeah. um, but then all, also gaining sort of the the Kairos uh, view of it all. So I, I just, Agreed. yeah, kids who are going to school there, students who are going to school there are going to be really blessed by uh, being able to take courses from the two of you. So that's really, really fun. I hope you'll join us again. I um, I love the way you think about the things that uh, we're all needing to be thinking about and how you're pointing us to the the redemptive you know narrative over all of human history and helping us gain a gospel perspective and having us not obsess so much about you know the news of the moment like I don't have to take a moral position and vocalize a moral position on everything that happens every moment everywhere to everyone like I don't I don't have to do that and it's very liberating to just have somebody say so yes I, I think that would be a key takeaway uh, just kind of to to relieve us of that impossible burden of feeling feeling like we have to stay abreast of everything that's happening and have an opinion on everything because that's impossible. It is impossible. Well, only for God, like right? He's a, he is he is alone in a position to do that. So let's just let him have that job. That seems good. Jeffrey Bilbro, thank you so much. The book is Reading the Times from our friends over at University Press. I also want you to check out Front porchrepublic.com. Jeffrey is the editor of that uh, site, and there's just some really great aggregated stuff there. So frontporchrepublic.com, and the book is Reading the Times. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
today is a good day to till some soil. Uh, you and I are going to get out there and cultivate the culture. We're going to do so in ways that honor Jesus. Be sure you are sowing peace. Be sure you are casting about the Word of God along your path today. Take every appointment as a divine appointment. Might not be an appointment you have set, but surely it is one that God has set for you. So uh, just recognize that in that moment, you're the person whom God has deigned to be right there at that time in that place for his good purpose. So if God's uh, viewpoint is not being brought up in the conversation or being brought to bear in a, in a situation, it, you're the person that's there to do that. So go ahead and speak the truth. Do so in ways that uh, are loving and kind and generous and gospel. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.